You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. All right, Greg, thanks for jumping on. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing great, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. was really interested in your story. We connected not too long ago, but just through Bigger Pockets, a post that I just threw out there for some folks that maybe were looking to bounce ideas as far as mentorship. And your comment and then our follow-up afterwards kind of encompassed a lot of things as far as mentorship and getting started in the industry. And that's kind of why I wanted to really dig into your story and have you on because you've done so much since you got started. But would love to hear from your side of if we get could dig into your background a little bit, how you got started and where it all kind of came together with real estate at the beginning for you. Yeah, so I've been at it since 1997. I started as a small remodeling contractor, handyman contractor, and uh, down on the Outer Banks of North Carolina. It's a resort coastal community off the coast of North Carolina. It's all mostly primarily summer vacation rental homes, small year-round population of about 30,000 people. So everything down there was short-term rentals. You know, they're thoroughbreds. Those houses rent like crazy. Property management at the time, you know, VRBO wasn't a thing. Airbnb wasn't a thing. So their management companies have been down there forever running, you know, managing these things turnkey for people. So, you know, from a turnkey standpoint and a short-term rental standpoint, I mean, they're just, it's one of the best markets in the country. You know, so a lot of people were coming down there buying houses and, you know, adding pools, closing in the ground floor, just doing, you know, whatever. And then building them ground up. So I just started out small working for locals and working for some investors coming down. I started learning from them what they were doing. Then I learned how to build spec houses. My first like deal was a lot flip, bought a lot, resold it like in 30 days, made a nice little profit. Then I started buying hotels, tearing them down, developing multi-million dollar beach houses, building spec houses. Uh, Then I got into some land development, commercial development, and it just kind of all went from there. But you know, it's been a 23-year journey. And uh, prior to that, you know, I was in the Navy right out of high school. And when I got out of the Navy, you know, I'd work construction during the day, restaurants at night. So I got a really good training and education restaurant industry and had a lot of mentors in that business. Construction industry, I was working for other builders, other developers as a subcontractor and then homeowners. So I learned a lot, had a lot of mentors in that segment. And then when I moved to the Outer Banks in 1997, I moved there to open a restaurant, but I got into construction instead, got my real estate license, you know, three or four years later. And it's just been, you know, that's what I've done ever since, real estate development. And I've started 12 different companies as well along the way. My first company, when I started as a remodeling contractor in 97, I think I did 250000 my first year. Seven years later, I was doing $30 million. I was one of the largest builders down there. I'd started 12 other companies along the way. You know, I'd get in there, start a mentor, coach the guy that was operating the business or gal build it up and then sell it back to them or we'd sell it to somebody else. So it was kind of like an equity capital slash roll up kind of thing. Sold my construction company, real estate company in 0405 and then took a little step back for a while. In 2007, started another company, built that up till 2009. And then we all, you know, got put out of business and, you know, so I've been developing and outsourcing, you know, the construction arm of that ever since. Got it. Hearing your background, it sounds like you've been pretty action oriented. You seem like a pretty driven person. I'm just curious, was that something that you had or felt even as you were growing up, middle school, high school, or was that something that developed over time? Yeah, elementary school. So yeah, I'm a natural born (laughs) entrepreneur and you know, I'd go out, cut grass, rake leaves. I mean, I would knock on your door 
Hey, I gotta live down the street. I need to make some money, do anything. What do you need me to do? You know, wash your car, you know, babysit your kids, walk your dog. What do you need done? So, I mean, I was just wired that way, built that way, you know, natural born salesman, door to door didn't bother me. And, uh, you know, of course my dad was military, career military. So I grew up in a very strict, disciplined military environment, you know, and I had a strong work ethic beat into me by my dad, literally, you know, so, uh, <laughs> you know, I did all the manual labor around our house and, you know, so it just it taught me how to work hard and the value of working hard. And, and, you know, so I've always been a hard worker, but that entrepreneurial spirit, that's something I've had since day one. I'm a natural born leader. When I went in the military, I was marked as a leader. I went in and enlisted, but in boot camp, they pulled me out, you know, made me a section leader. I was a division leader after that. Every job I've ever had, I've always been a leader, you know, either a crew leader or a manager or something like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, and my dad was an officer, you know, so he was, a, he went in and enlisted, came out an officer. So I learned a lot of leadership from him, a lot of discipline, a lot of hard work, that kind of thing. Yeah, he was a hard worker. So, but the entrepreneurial thing, I'm the only one in my family. None of, nobody in my family wow. are entrepreneurs, just me. And I've just always wanted to, you know, carve my own path, do my own thing. I, you know, I did four years in the military. I didn't want to make a career of it. And I've just, I've just been an entrepreneur pretty much my whole life. Got it. That's very cool. And yeah. it sounds like it's something that you had the self-awareness to assess that I've always had leadership qualities that I could probably translate into business and then found a niche that, well, now it's even progressed into more, just we can talk about it down what you're doing now with some coaching and mentoring and just more forms of leadership, you know, yeah. once you progress into the business. But I'd love to go back to 1997, really. You, you said you did your first deal. And yeah. at that time, were you thinking of it like, I'm going to just do one deal, I may have stumbled into it, or I may have taken some action, and now I'm going here. Were you thinking you were going to do a lot of volume? Or were you thinking maybe just scale something up slowly? And if so, what made you think either direction? So the first deal was a friend of mine who was a realtor, you know, I had a building company, I was successful uh, with that, it was growing. And uh, he came to me and said, hey, there's a lot that we can buy over here. You put up the money, I'll do everything else. We can buy it now and then flip it in 30 days and we'll double our... And I was like, really? And he said, yeah. I'm like, can you do that? I didn't even know you could do that. You know, and I've owned houses. I mean, I think by the time we landed on the Outer Banks, I was in my third house that we'd owned, but I never looked at real estate investing as a career, as a vocation. And I hadn't really studied it because back then, you know, we didn't have the internet. You didn't have all the infomercials and... You know, the only people that were out there at that time was like Russ Whitney, you know, Carlton Sheets, and they were late night infomercial guys. So you thought it was just a bunch of nonsense, right? And I didn't, you know, I wasn't in a market where house flipping or something like that was a thing. You know, it was mostly new construction. So to me, you know, building spec houses was the equivalent of flipping houses. So I never really looked at it that way. And then once I flipped that lot and I got into building spec houses, which was where I wanted to grow and scale you know, building for other investors. So I'd find the land, develop it, flip it to an investor and build them a house. So I'd make a spread and end on the house. And then whatever excess cash I had, I would pour into my own deals and I would use that to fund my own deals. So my philosophy, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, one of the first business books I ever read that opened my mind to, you know, building businesses to generate cash flow to invest in other assets. That's what I got out of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, not real estate. A lot of people get real estate out of that book. But I got the business side of it and the income side of it to invest in assets that'll pay you. So that's just what I did. And my goal was, you know, I just had this desire to scale what I was doing and to make the most out of everything I was doing. I figured I was, I'd been given these gifts. I need to use it my fullest. And, you know, I like to give back too. So there are a lot of avenues that building companies and, 
you know, generating income, you know, benefited the community, the employees, the companies at large. But at the end of the day, that's what I am and what I was and what I've been as a coach and a mentor in all of my businesses that I was involved in, my own companies, as well as the other companies, the real estate I do, same thing. I'm coaching whoever it is and mentoring whoever it is, the other realtors, you know, everybody along the way. It's just kind of every conversation I have, that's just the role I take. I just, I'm just wired that way. And I start asking questions and digging into the business. It's really interesting to me. I'm curious, but every business leader, every investor, every entrepreneur, that's what you are. You're a coach and a mentor. You're coaching and mentoring your organization, the people within your organization, all of your partners, subcontractors, suppliers, and vendors. So think big, right? I've always had a drive and an ambition to grow and scale. And I had the energy and the ability to take that risk when I was younger, whereas now I'm a little less risk oriented, you know, more risk averse now as I've gotten older because I've built it up and I've worked so hard. And, you know, if I make it another 20 years, I'm lucky, right? So. Oh, I'm sure they'll make it many more than 20 if you want, but I don't see you as a person that's going to just sit idle and not do anything. No, I'm still doing deals. I'm still getting involved in companies, but now instead of risking, like before, I just put it on the line. Yeah. Talking about the natural born entrepreneur thing and all that. And uh, yeah, just having that inner drive to want to build and scale something and maximize every opportunity that, that I've been given. And, you know, the fact that, you know, all of us as entrepreneurs, I think this is where we got cut off. We are all yeah coaches and mentors in our businesses and our organizations, whatever you're doing, you know, if you're leading an organization, a group, a family, whatever it is, as an entrepreneur, as a leader, you know, you're a coach and a mentor. And that's really what you're doing is bringing the best out of everybody and everything around you, putting all those resources together, moving towards that end. Yeah. Couldn't agree with that more. You know, and then I think you took that and well, you scaled it a lot and we'll talk about kind of what your business has grown into, but I'm curious, do you think the way you started in real estate is something that's repeatable or would work today for someone that's trying to get in or kind of a newbie? Or do you think you would go about it a little differently if you were starting over or starting today? Yeah, you know, I think it can work. You know, my path was different just because it's what I knew. You know, I didn't go to college. There wasn't a lot of information out there. I had to learn a lot of it the hard way, you know, the slow way. It was when I started working with some, some serious developers and investors, I'm, you know, big guns that, you know, four or $500 million and up, you know, kind of guys that would build skyscrapers and big buildings and big developments. I started learning from them. I just didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know what was possible. I didn't know what I could do. I didn't know what the possibilities were. So for younger people, I would say, especially if you have the resources, you have the information's out there, the mentors are out there, the opportunities are out there. So I'd say go big, you know, get in there, learn and go big early on so that you can, so it can be game over quicker. You know, it took me a long time to get to game over and I had to do it through building a business, which is a great way to do it. You know, game over for me was, you know, seven years after I started that first company, but it was through the business that it was game over. So yeah, it's totally repeatable. Anybody can do it, you know, starting residential like I did and then moving from there. It was just a path I took. You don't have to do that. I mean, you can jump right into development. You can jump right into commercial multifamily. You know, or if you're comfortable in residential, you can jump into residential and scale that. So there's different opportunities. Everybody's wired differently. Everybody's attracted to different things. But yeah, the path I took is totally repeatable. Right. And I hear both sides of it. Like some people say you need those smaller deals to get an idea of what you're getting into. And then you'll be more ready for the bigger deals when they come. And then you hear other people say, 
I wish I would have just started big at the beginning. I would have ended up much further, faster. I just needed to keep going. I would have gotten probably some bumps and bruises along the way. So those are the two approaches. And then more and more lately, especially speaking to more people that have had success, I'm also hearing the option of a hybrid approach where you can do some bigger deals, you can take action, but maybe you either have a coach or a mentor or a mastermind group that can help kind of bridge that gap. Do you agree with yeah. that? Is that the approach you like to you know see people take? Oh yeah, absolutely. So that makes the difference. You know, that's what I didn't have. I mean, my mentors came later and again, I just didn't know what I didn't know. I wasn't aware of what the possibilities were and the things that you could do. So as I became aware of bigger and better opportunities, I just did it. I just went for it and I jumped in. Now, the caveat to all that is you definitely have to educate yourself. So you need to know the market, the space, the assets, you know, the techniques, the strategies, the financing. So there's a lot you need to know. You can't just jump in blind and go for it just because you have, you know, a mentor or a network or whatever. A couple of kids in the house have. But um, (laughs) anyways, as long as you've got the education and or the financial resources and or the mentors and or partners, then you can go as big as you can go based on your ability to get comfortable with it. Got it. That makes sense. You know, and I think for some people, they just need to take the first step. And then the first step will get them to steps two or three. The thing, a theme of this podcast, it seems to be over and over is people networking and mentors and they can come from all different ways. But it seems like if you're leveling up your people, if you're just taking more action, you're going to typically find the people you need to get the answers. And then some of those people might become mentors or friends and if you bring them value, they could be lifelong mentors or friends. But Everything in this business, it seems to be repeatable or attainable, but you can't do it alone. You do need other people. Well, you got to learn. So yeah, I mean, you can do it alone in terms of being like, so everything I did mostly was on my own as the owner. So I was the sponsor of my own deals. I used my own money. I arranged my own financing. I signed, you know, so it wasn't like the traditional ways now because you just, those ways weren't available. Now I did do some joint ventures and partnerships, things like that. The help that I had though, were all my team working for me and or partners and joint venture partners working along with me. So that's kind of my track. So the key in what you said was just getting started, right? So a lot of people, it's momentum. You do one deal, then you get comfortable, then the next deal. So it seems so hard to get started. Anything you do, just the mindset of getting started and getting that momentum seems hard. But once you've done it, you're like, oh, that wasn't that hard. Then you just keep going and you go from there. So that's kind of the progression that I went through. And really, it was only a period that I knew absolutely nothing to the point where I was one of the largest developers in my area and just rolling. Now, the difference is I'm a seeker of wisdom. So I sought out, I was curious, I was a seeker of wisdom, and I sought out learning from the other people as much as I could. Now, that's everybody. I've never built a house before I built a house. I didn't know how to do it. I hired people that were professionals in my community that had been doing it for 15, 20 years down there. I brought them to work for me, and I coached them to success. So I found champions and I coached them to success. People that were very experienced doing what I wanted to do. I wanted to be the largest you know, builder down there and build these million dollar houses. I had no clue how to do that. So I hired people that did and I turned them loose, let them do their job. And I learned from them and I humbled myself and said, Hey, I don't know what you know. You're way better and smarter than me at this, but I do know business. I do know how to, how to raise money and I do know how to lead people. So I focused on my strengths. I hired out my weaknesses and I learned from those people. And it was everybody, my attorneys, my accountants, uh, people that work for me, suppliers, vendors, everybody. And I would just ask them questions, say, hey, I don't know what that is. You know, if somebody said defeasance, I'd be like, what is that? You know, if somebody said, you know, back in 2009, 
when forbearance, you know, loans and stuff, you're talking about forbearance. I was like, well, what is that? What's a forbearance agreement? You know? So I would just ask questions, you know, if it was a financing thing, internal rate of return, I had no clue what that was when I started out. I'm like, well, what is that? You know? So, you know, I'm not afraid to ask questions. I'm not afraid to look stupid to learn. Right. And that seems to be something that holds tons of people back. We all have it. I think the more we can get uncomfortable, another theme, another thing that is easier said than done, but it is the key to a lot of this stuff that it's not complicated. It's not even the smartest people that are doing these. It's just getting uncomfortable and taking action. You know, so that, it that is. seems it's to taking be... action and, and educating yourself. I mean, you got to educate yourself in there. Now, the difference is there's a lot of good quality courses, information. You know, I've got a free podcast, YouTube channel, a lot of free information on there that, mm-hmm. you know, you can actually learn, you know, the business and learn stuff from. Now you got to qualify it. Some of it's all not mine, but there's a lot of stuff out there that's just pitching, right? Trying to get you into this funnel to sell you the next thing. You know, I've got free content that's real. Here's how you develop a property. Here's how you do this. Here's how you do. I mean, it's real hard hitting you know, stuff that you can go do, you can repeat it, which is great. So you, so you want to get that education. You need to understand the terminology of the business. You need to understand your market. People say, what does that mean? Know your market. Well, what I mean is if you're residential, you should be able to tell me without looking at anything at any given time, how many houses are on the market, if that's your business, how long they've been on the market, how many are under contract, how long were they on the market, how many have sold, how long were they on the market, and what did they sell for sales price to list price? in every segment of the market you're interested in, in every little pocket, right? Because real estate's hyper-local. So all the way down to the city, block, street, even positioning on that street makes a big difference, you know, especially in the higher end areas. So that's what I mean. When I say educate yourself, you got to know the terminology of the business, how the financing of the business works, how the markets work, the different areas, you know, if it's commercial, different types of commercial property and class. A lot of people think those two things are the same and they're not. You know, the different types are office, retail, industrial, hospitality, land, class, A, B, C, D. So uh, it's two different things. So, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. So if you educate yourself, you arm yourself with the knowledge, find a good mentor, coach, you know, pay somebody to teach you, take a course that's valuable. You know, that's how you fast track yourself and you have more confidence going into the deal. And then if you leverage that with partners, then you build even more confidence to just fast track yourself. Got it. Totally agree. So you do that first deal, you start getting educated. It sounds like you go beyond getting educated. You're becoming more of an expert. You're also partnering with some of the right people. You're taking a lot of action. So bring us up to speed. What does your current portfolio consist of? You've done a lot of deals. There's been a lot of volume, a lot of revenue. Have you kept everything that you've either built or developed? Were you selling it? And where are you at today with your current inventory? I'm a developer, so I build and sell. And, you know, I had a nice portfolio of stuff. 2000, I did a video with this today on another interview earlier, 0506, I sold everything. So I had a lot of real estate 0506, sold it all. And then, you know, I've been trading ever since, you know, and especially since 2009, you know, I've just been getting in, getting out, getting in, getting out. 2009 kind of changed my perspective on things, you know, a little bit. So, you know, I like cash. I like to be a landlord of cash, like to warehouse cash. So, you know, at any given time, I'm getting in and out of different things, you know, whether it's a cluster development, little infill development, or, uh, you know, some hotel projects I've been working on developing ground up. I've got some land positions here and there, you know, for future hotel development, you know, things like that. So I don't, you know, own anything long term, I build it, get it either leased up performing and then sell it or I sell it vacant. And I do, you know, four fees. So I'll have a tenant in place, let's say it's a dental office, you know, it's a spec development, but I've got a dentist that's going to occupy that building, you know, when it's done. 
So that's kind of how I operate now at this point in my life. You know, I'm just not really interested in dealing with a bunch of different assets and going through another 2009. Yep. Gotcha. On that note, I have to ask, because I think a lot of people have, especially on bigger pockets, it's not a good or bad thing. They, a neutral statement, they've just started investing since the crash. And I think a lot of them have never been through 2008 or 2002. I know a lot of people yeah. have just seemed and they've been very successful in the last 10 years because they've bought a lot of property. It's increased in value. They've raised rents and areas have developed. Being someone that invested and did a lot of transactions through 2008, 2009, one, what was that like? And two, what did you learn from it? So pre-2009, it was just like now. It was a bull run. You know, everything was just straight up. None of us, including me, thought it could ever end, you know, and I didn't understand how things worked, you know, and we were able to borrow money with no money down, you know, no documentation. It was the whole interest-only LIBOR, you know, no income verification, no documentation loans, and anybody could do this, right? And this was commercial, non-recourse, resident. I mean, it was everything. Money was flowing. Mm -hmm. Debt and, you know, equity were commodities, just like it is now. So that was pre-2009. The problem was interest rates started shooting up. The banks started having trouble. So that's kind of what triggered everything. Now, and, you know, I lost, I don't know, I had $10 million in equity that I watched, you know, evaporate overnight. My balance sheet went to negative overnight. I did nothing wrong, nothing different, mm -hmm. you know. So that really fundamentally changed how I think about things, okay? What that taught me was, you know, what you pay for a property is permanent. The price you pay is permanent. The financing is temporary. So interest rates is what killed everything, right? So as financing goes up and down, the cash flow of the property and sustainability of the property goes up and down with it if your debt is temporary, right? But what you pay for that asset going in or coming out, you're stuck with that, right? The only thing you can change and if there's the financing on it, which changes the cash flow of it, which can ultimately change the values as things go forward. So 2009 taught me that you never know what can happen. <laughs> Big things can happen very fast. And we've been on a bull run ever since. The only thing that is sustaining the economy where it's at now is interest rates. That's it. You know, there's a ton of money out there looking to go to work because it's looking for yield because interest rates are so cheap. So that's who's financing these big commercial multifamily projects are institutional capital looking for yield. Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, they're throwing money in the street left and right, multifamily assets because they're safe and they're comfortable and the financing is right. So they're looking at the underwriting on them. They're making sure that the debt service ratios are there, but a lot of these loans that are getting done are interest only. So they're all hinging upon interest rates staying low. And it looks like there's no real catalyst for interest rates to rise anytime soon. It doesn't look like the banks are in trouble like they were before. There hasn't been very many bank failures last year, maybe one or two little banks. You know, normally, a, you know, four or 500 banks will fail every year. So the banks seem to be healthy. That was not the case back then. Most of the loans are being underwritten the right way. So they've got enough equity in them. They're not over leveraged. They're not allowing that like they did before. So, you know, it's really interesting times. And what we see on the horizon is potentially interest rates coming down even more. You know, so the key to watch is, you know, the artificial inflation. So everybody's complaining about cap rates right now. But, you know, with interest rates where they are, the relation to cap rates, the ratio, it's about the same. So when cap rates were you know, two, three, four points higher than they were now, so were the interest rates. So the cap rates are just now adjusting to where the interest rates are. I mean, interest is in the threes and fours on commercial and residential, whereas before it was, you know, five, sixes, and sevens, you know, when the cap rates were seven and eight. So the cap rates have come down with the interest rates, so nothing's really changed there. 
That's really interesting. I've never heard it put that way. And you do hear that complaint constantly of compressed cap rates, not being able to find deals. But to that point, it was also much more expensive debt. So yeah. thinking about it that way, it might change the conversation a little bit. You might. I'm, I'm already thinking of some deals that I'm looking at differently just based on that. So that, that's really yeah. interesting. Now, I don't want to tell anybody, don't be long-term, okay? So there's. I know a lot of people that have done extremely well have never sold things. Mm-hmm. So... I'm a developer. That's how I'm wired. I like to get in and get out. Same thing with companies. I like to build them up, sell them off. Warren Buffett's never sold a company he's bought, right? He buys and holds. So there are some very successful investors and developers out there that don't sell property. So this is the other thing. If you're long-term, if you're thinking 10 years and beyond, then you know it becomes an equity play. So your income pays down the debt you know, on the property, the note, so that you end up owning properties free and clear you know, 10, 20 years down the road. That used to be the game of real estate before all the inflation of the 2000s, you know, and the appreciation and the speculation, the play in real estate used to be long-term debt pay down so that you had assets at the end of the day that were free and clear. You know, Mm -hmm. that's where the real wealth was built in real estate back before all of this easy lending and low end game that we're playing now with interest only loans, you know, and the whole value add speculative play. Take that approach and say, you know what? I'm going to hold this asset for 10, 15, 20 years, let it pay itself off. So at the end of the day, I have all these properties that are debt free, you know, throwing off all this cash that changes too. And you can pay a little bit more for that outlook. And Mm -hmm. that's what you're seeing with the institutional money. They're long-term yield plays. So they're saying, you know, Hey, we've got these hundreds of billions of dollars we need to do. We're tired of getting in, getting out, getting in, getting out. So now if you look at the REIT, you know, a lot of them are taking long-term outlooks on these, you know, lower cap rate, class A trophy properties because they're long-term, you know, and they don't have to keep recycling that capital. They can just park it there. And if they get a 3% return, they're fine because at the end of the day, they're going to own that asset. Right. That said, and no one has a crystal ball, interest rates are definitely driving things more aggressively right now. And I think a lot of people hear that. And especially for beginners, they hear that and say, well, I'm going to wait for the crash. I'm going to wait for things to level out. That's going to be my excuse to not get started. So other than, I guess, advice to take action or get into the game. Is there any tangible real estate or investing advice you would give to someone right now to either one, protect themselves against a potential downturn or two areas that you think are more stable or safer investments right now that people can get into and still continue to take action? Yeah. So I would say, don't wait. There's deals in every market, every cycle. You just got to look at them a little closer make sure they cash flow you know, that they cover themselves and then some, you've got a little bit of cushion for, you know, unexpected incidentals that may arise. The problem with single family is you lose a tenant, you, you know, that's it, right? You've got 100% vacancy. So with bigger properties, you're kind of spreading that vacancy out a little bit so you can weather a vacancy here or there. So look for the deals, make sure they cash flow, have good long-term debt locked in or good, you know, if you're going to do interest only, at least that's longer term, five years to seven years. Make sure you don't have any penalties on the back end to refire, get out of that if you need to you know, to sell it so that you can, you know, react with the economy and the environment. But, you know, the banks aren't going to let you over leverage properties right now. So they're going to make you, you know, stay properly leveraged. So if you don't over leverage and if you have good debt structure and you have good quality assets, then, you know, you can make deals all day long right now. It's a little harder to be value add oriented or opportunistic or speculative, but there's still opportunities out there. You just got to be nimble and be ready to strike when the time comes up and just go you know, be ready to jump. That's really the key. And then just pay attention to interest rates. Everything is hinging on interest rates. You know, as the rates rise, the stock market's going to tank. 
you know, everything is going to change when interest rates rise. So as long as we're low, you know, things are going to be good. But, uh, and if you're long-term, you can pay a little bit more and be a little bit more aggressive. Got it. Makes sense. Here's another curious question. It kind of popped out from that forum post and then just a lot of beginners looking to get started. Are there any creative partnership structures you can recommend that you've seen or used yourself between a newbie investor and someone that's seasoned and how a newbie investor can go to that seasoned investor and they can partner in a deal and bring some value and the seasoned investor can also bring value by their providing maybe some capital or some mentorship, anything like that you've, that you've seen? Well, so the seasoned investor, unless you, you got to have a deal. So if you're new and you want to partner with a seasoned investor and want them to bring capital expertise and all that, you have to have a really good deal. You got to have something mm-hmm. that's unique, smoking hot that this person can't find on their own. That's the only way you're going to get into that equation. You've got to have a deal. You got to have something. You know, unless you've got somebody who's hiring, looking to build a team and, you know, wanting to bring people on, you've got some unique skill sets, you know, then you might be able to exchange work for learning. But at the end of the day, the way I made my bones in the business was I had deals. I was finding deals, creating opportunity, then bringing the investors to it. You know, again, I was creating land opportunities, flipping those to investors and then building houses for them and with them. So I had something they didn't have access to. Uh, So if it's somebody that has experience, expertise, and capital, there's really not much you have to offer to that individual. So hence the paid mentorship coaching programs, because that's, you know, that's really what makes sense. You got to pay somebody for them to teach you because you really have nothing to offer them, you know? Sure. And I love helping people and mentoring people, but I'm not going to waste my time either. You know, I've had people in the past that I've put time into coach and mentor and they never took action. They never did a thing. I'm not going to do that anymore. You know, I'm on a mission the rest of my life as I have been my whole career to help as many people as I can, but they got to be serious about it. They got to be willing to invest in their business and their selves and be able to go out there and take action. So that's where it comes in from that perspective. So if you find something that is good, that's kind of how you can, you know, rally into that in terms of, you know, bringing more sophisticated expertise on board or if you have capital. So if you have the ability to raise capital and there's more experienced investors out there that are looking for capital for their deal, you can get involved that way. For someone listening to this, and that's all great tangible advice, like three ways that you can bring value to someone. Any tangible ways that you would recommend a new a newbie investor who maybe they have time, maybe they don't have a ton of money, that they could go out and find deals. If they're think, listening to this right now and thinking, I would love to bring value to someone, but I put time into it. I'll put energy into it, but I just don't know how to find deals. Any recommendations for someone that's looking to find a deal to bring value to someone? Yeah. So, you know, when you talked about where to stay as the market changes and all that, so you want to be in areas of demand around urban cores, areas that are experiencing growth, jobs, population, income, you know, demand. So you want to be looking in the areas where people are going. You know, you don't want to say, hey, there's this, you know, thousand acre field out in the middle of nowhere that's prime for development. Part of it's commercial. So it's worth a fortune. You know, I get that call all the time. Right. So just because it's there and just because it's commercial doesn't mean it's worth anything if it's not in an area where there's demand. And people say, oh, well, it's only a 45 minute drive from Atlanta. I'm like, nobody wants to live 45 minutes from Atlanta, you know, unless there's something there already that's, you know, bringing people to that area. So. You want to be in areas where there's built up demand. So the free ways to find properties in residential courses, just driving around, you know, looking for houses that look like they're, you know, run down and, you know, deferred maintenance is down. Same thing on multifamily commercial. You look for properties that are in disrepair. You look up the owner, call them up, find out if they want to sell. You can look at uh, Craigslist and call landlords 
you know, that are trying to rent property. Sometimes they're tired of it and willing to, you know, do a deal. Same thing with commercial, vacant commercial. There can be a lot of opportunities to go in there and do a deal with somebody where you can get owner financing if it's sitting there vacant and the owner's having trouble leasing it, residential and commercial. You can get owner finance deals that way. Zillow is another good one, you know, that has for sale by owner properties on there. You know, foreclosures for the most part are going to be a waste of time, you know, because the banks aren't stupid, right? They're not going to sell stuff for nothing. They're going to wait it out. You know, those are really the free ways to do it. And then you can get lists. You can go down to the county courthouse and you can get or tax database uh, websites where you can download parcel data sheets that have all of the properties listed, all of the owners, and then they have the different types and you can sort it. And you can go down the list and look for, you know, properties that are older, that, you know, owners have owned them for a long time. That means they usually are going to have equity in them. And then you can just start calling them up, you know, or mailing them if you want to. So, you know, those are really the free-ish way you can, you know, start finding properties. But the key is you got to be talking to people, networking, let them know what you're doing, what you're looking for. But you got to be calling people and talking to people and making offers. You will never get a property that you don't make an offer on. Got it. But a lot of people forget to connect that dot, you know? Right. They do all the research and then they're right there. You're at the one yard line. Just take the next step. Take the action and your, make the offer. Your ability yeah. to find properties and make deals is directly related to how many offers you're actually making in any business, you know, in your business, right? You don't sell software that you don't make an offer to sell. Sure. Do you think that's the biggest lead measure for newbie or beginner investors that are looking to get started offers or deals analyzed? Any one of those stand out more to you? I think just make an offer. So I'm, I've never been afraid to make an offer. So a lot of people say, ah, it's overpriced. Just make an offer. It doesn't cost you anything to pick up the phone and just say, you know, hey, you're willing to sell your property? And, uh, you know, John, I'm, I just drove by your house, just taking a look at it, and I'm calling property owners in the area. Would you be interested in selling your house by any chance? Mm-hmm. And you're going to say yes or no, right? Yeah. So What's you, the you, worst you might that can happen with that? Nothing. Right. Or you might say, well, who are you and how do you get my number? Oh, hey, my name's Greg. I'm an investor. I buy renovate and sell houses just like you see on HGTV. So I'm just driving around the neighborhood, calling up houses that look like they'd be good houses for that program. I saw yours, just wanted to give you a I might be, or you're going to no. So they're going to either say yes or no. If they say no, hey, I appreciate it, but let me ask you before we go, do you have any other you'd like to sell or do you know anybody else that has a property they'd like to sell? Oh, well, you know what? My boss had mentioned da 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 It's just a matter of calling people, talking to people. In the commercial world, it's making LOIs, sending out mm. LOIs. You know, those are... Uh, non-binding letter of intent. Now you need to be willing and able to back it up. So I will qualify that. So when you make an offer, you need to know that you can back it up. So you've either got people that you can come alongside or whatever, but you have to be making those offers. And it's, it's just a conversation. A lot of people are afraid to do that. A lot of people will spend thousands of dollars marketing, sending mailers, doing, you know, voicemails, whatever. And they won't answer the calls. When people call, (laughs) they get afraid because they don't know what to say and they don't know how to talk. So right. that script right there for residential. Hey, this is this is John. I buy properties, fix them up and sell them just like you see on HGTV. Are you interested in selling your property? And, you know, if that just breaks the ice, brings down the barriers. If it's commercial, hey, this is John. I'm an investor looking for some properties. You interested in selling your building? You know, are you interested in say whatever, you know, and, you can, and if it's a yes or a no, then you just start talking to them and asking questions and building that relationship. And uh, you don't get right down to price. You ask them about the property and all that. And, sure. you know, usually people are going to say, oh, yeah, for the right price. And you'll say, well, tell me about the property, you know, and then you get into it and then you drill down and you need to know what you're willing to pay, you know, or you call yep. them back after you do your due diligence. So just a conversation is all it is. I think the way you just described it, simplifying it, it makes it so much less scary to people because even people listening will say, I have no idea what to say or 
Mm -hmm. Why would they ever want to do that? But the way you just went about it, not intrusively and very conversationally, it's not going to put people off. If they aren't interested, maybe they'll ask how you got their number and you could just say, hey, phone book or looked it up, but this is not a, an aggressive ask. I'm just driving around. Hey, and if not, most of these owners, if especially in the multifamily space, they're investors anyway. So almost anyone's willing to field an offer. If it's the right price, it's not necessarily someone that's going to totally just outright reject something. You know, single family, maybe a little bit more actual owners. But if you're finding landlords, almost all landlords are willing to hear out offers because they're in business. They're not tied to something emotionally. So that's a really good, uh, I think, point to kind of tie up on. Just kind of going yeah. into some, some closing points here. One more I'd hit on there. So, you know, that yeah. whole thing with commercial. So they started somewhere. So as you're younger, you're, you said your audience is a little bit younger and you're just getting started. Don't be afraid to be honest. Okay. Be honest. And if you've got a sophisticated investor on the line experience, they're going to know what your experience level is the first few minutes you talk to them. So don't worry about that. Don't be afraid of it. Come out with it and just mm -hmm. say, Hey, this is John. Uh, you know, I'm just getting started in the business, looking for some properties. You know, I can raise the money and all that but I'm a seeker of wisdom. Tell me about you. How'd you get started? You know, just tell them, Hey, I'm just learning. I'm looking for help. You know, as you build that relationship, you'd be surprised how many of them say, you know what? I'll finance you. I'll help you get started. You know? So that's so true. That's so true. We all started from advice. somewhere. I finance people all the time in business, in real estate, you know, properties that I have, and I love to help people. So do other people. So just be honest. Don't try to pretend you're something you're not. Say, Hey, I'm new. I'm young. I'm getting started. I'm trying to learn. I'm looking for somebody to help me get my foot in the industry. That's great advice. If anyone's yeah. listening to that, I recommend rewinding it and, and listening to that a couple more times because the last minute or so between the script and the actual mentality you want to take, that's all you really need to get going. And that right there, I think a lot of people do try to seem maybe what they're not and people can see right through it. If you've been around yeah. real estate or business long enough, you can see when someone's faking versus has a little experience, but people appreciate honesty and candor exactly to your point. Yeah. So that's great. I guess just winding down here, a couple uh, closing questions and then some fast uh, tips, tricks, and tangible stuff. But right now, what's your current focus? Uh, you know, development, I'm opportunistic. So I like very heavy value add. I like adaptive reuse. I like ground up. So, uh, you know, infill development, residential and commercial. And then I like to make old buildings new. So I love downtown old brick buildings and taking them and renovating them and making them new. Got it. And on, on those, are you typically going in with groups? Are you syndicating? Or are you getting financing from yourself? How, how are you going about putting the deals together typically right now? Yeah, it depends. Mostly it's cash. And then sometimes there'll be some bank financing on it. And then I've got, I've got partners and friends, you know, over the 23 years that I've done business that are always looking to get involved in a deal with me. So it's very easy for me to raise money. It's, you know, the capital out there is unlimited, you know, for the right deals. Sure. Gotcha. On a day-to-day -day basis, are there any places you specifically get content from, education, websites you find yourself on more than others, apps, things like that, where you're consuming information to then go out and make decisions? Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously I'm all over YouTube. I, can't, I don't listen to music at all. You know, I'm always listening to podcasts, YouTube. I read a lot of books. You know, I've been on lately reading, you know, books from a lot of these, uh, you know, billionaires that are retiring and wanting to pass along what they've mm -hmm. learned, like Tillman Fertitta with... Uh, Landry Restaurants, one of my mentors, the former CEO of Dollar General just released his book, you know, just different people like that, Harry Edelson, Ray Dalio, you know, so I'll read a lot of books of investors. 
entrepreneurs, you know, everybody's coming out with their stories now. Netflix, there's a book out about them, mm-hmm. you know, how they did uh, one of the co-founders of that. So I enjoy reading those stories of the business and then all those individuals listen to their podcasts. I listen to like, you know, BlackRock, the CEO of the real estate division there. And, you know, I kind of follow his press conferences and talks on YouTube, stuff like that. Ted's always good. So yeah, I'm always myself and learning. Love it. That's a great answer. I think that's another common theme of people that have come on and they're just doing this for a long time, constantly adapting, constantly learning. If someone was uh, looking to bring you value right now, a lot of people are out there and they're, I love this approach. I think it's much better from a mentorship standpoint of ask or add value before you ask for something, ask instead of asking for value. Is there anything you're working on right now that if someone came to you and said, hey, I'd love to provide you some value. I'd love to help you with something you're working on or don't have time for. Is there anything like that on, on your table right now? You know, somebody like me, you know, that, that yeah, I get this question all the time. You know, you need to know how you can add value before you ask that question. So if you don't have a deal or money or something like that, there is nothing you can do for somebody who's experienced that's already doing deals and out on a big scale every day. So it's either going to be a unique opportunity that you've got control of, or you've got a ton of money and you want to do something and you just don't know what to do with it, you know, and you mm-hmm. want to come along and help you invest it, you know, that kind of thing. So other than that, you know, I'm going to hire the help I need and I'm going to hire professionals, you know, so I just, my point with what I'm doing, architects, engineers, general contractors, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, that's, that's who works for me and who does my project. So there really is nothing. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I just mean, like I said earlier, in order to align yourself with somebody who's experienced and successful and has all the resources they need, you either have to have a lot of money or you have to have a unique opportunity and more a unique opportunity than anything else because the money's out there. Mm-hmm. But if you've got money, that's one way you can get in the door with somebody, not me necessarily, but somebody that has experience. Got it. So you're not looking for someone to pick up your laundry? <laughs> no, or social media manager, any of that. I'm going to hire a pro, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. if I'm going to do that, yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. When you're not doing real estate hobbies, what do you like to do for fun? I'm involved in the faith community, so I lead some men's groups and do a lot of things on you know the ministry front and that standpoint. You know, and just take vacations here and there. I like to travel. You know, I'll take time in chunks, but I mean, I love doing deals. I mean, to me, this is fun. It's not a grind. It's not a job. I just I love doing what we're doing right now. I get on podcasts all the time, do interviews. I'm getting ready to start a series mentored by a billionaire. So I have some billionaires that, that I've, you know, worked with over the years and done deals and have mentored me. So I'm going to start interviewing them and releasing those podcasts. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff I love do, doing. I love sharing the knowledge and the wisdom and the experience that I've gained over the years. So there's a lot of other successful business people out there doing the same thing. So, uh, you know, that, that's what keeps me filled and energized. Got it. That's awesome. Very cool. So I got your Bigger Pockets page pulled up here and I know we're connected on LinkedIn as well. I'll post all your social information, your website information. What would be, especially going forward, it sounds like you're putting out some new content. What would be the best way for people to follow you, learn about you, connect with you? Yeah, it's all on my website, gregdickerson.com. So that's where, uh, you know, my YouTube channel, podcast, you can connect with those there, all my social media links. And, um, you know, I've got some courses that I just released this year for some different uh, areas of real estate. Uh, you know, I do some coaching, so that information is on there as well. But yeah, all my social media profiles, a lot of free content that I put out every single day. You know, it's real stuff, no pitching, no selling. It's just, here's how you do this. Here's what you want to do to do that. You know, it's really good, straight to the point, short, you know, consumable content. That's awesome. Well, we'll get that out there. I look forward to checking some of that stuff out. 
at yeah. depth uh, as well. So good deal. Uh, Greg, before we wrap up, is there anything else you just want to get out there, deliver any message? Well, I would just say, just don't wait, you know, get out there, start doing deals. You know, if you're worried about the economy or where it's at, start small, you know, but if you're young and you don't have a lot to lose, now's the time to take those big risks. Now's the time to go for it. You got nothing to be afraid of. You know, if you're in your twenties or thirties and you lose everything, man, you know, that's fine. You've got plenty of time to recover. You can make big mistakes now. So get out there, get that stuff done now while you're young, learn while you're young, find a great coach, join with whatever. And just get out there and start doing it. Don't wait because it's, you know, real estate cycles, right? So you got to learn how to thrive and survive in every cycle. Don't wait it out because then, you know, next thing you know, at the end of the day, you'll you'll miss it. It's a great tip, guys. Just take action. You'll learn along the way. You'll meet the right people. You'll learn from people like Greg. You'll get his content. You'll see people that have done it. They've picked up some bangs and bruises along the way that they can help share and help you uh, prevent. So, Greg, with that, really, really appreciate you taking some time. Uh, it's great talking with you. And uh, I'm really excited to see what you got coming up uh, this year and going forward. It looks like you're doing some really yeah. good projects. Yep, it'll be a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. All right, Greg. Thank you very All much. Right, we will be in touch.